Join the zone Thursday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at F45 Training at Jordan Landing, 3812 West, 7800 South. Change everything with personal training in a team environment. David Locke joining us now. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. David, good morning. And David's phone just dropped. Excellent. We'll get him back on the line. For the people just joining us, PK, we've been talking about uh, the passing of Kobe Bryant this morning, 41 years old, and the helicopter crash that shocked everybody yesterday. And a list of people we wanted to have on the show, some we've been able to get, some we haven't, some we wanted will be on other shows later today. Kyle Goon and uh, Bill Oram, who both uh, cover the Lakers in Southern California, used to write for the Salt Lake Tribune, and we know them well, and they're going to be on shows later in the day. Uh, but you want to have David Locke on because he was there for uh, – a big moment in Hot Rod Hunley's career, and Locke joins us now on the Sprint Special yeah, Guest Line. Let's David, let him explain it. David, good morning. Good morning, guys. We want to have you on the air because uh, you were right there for uh, one of the many moments in Kobe's career that overlaps with jazz history. And the photo has actually been posted by one of our listeners on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. And Kobe Bryant has come over at the end of the game in full uniform, and he's shaking hands with Hot Rod, who's sitting down looking up at him. It was Hot Rod's last game broadcasting the Jazz, and of course he'd been a Laker number one pick and a two-time All-Star and a Laker broadcaster, and now this Jazz broadcaster. And, and Kobe knew the history of the game, and you are sitting in the middle of the photo right there staring at Kobe, sitting right next to Hot Rod. Kind of take us through that and what it meant to Hot Rod that, that Kobe – thought of him in that moment well i meant everything to hot rod that that i think is actually my biggest memory of the moment even more so than just kind of how impressed i was that kobe's awareness of the moment in time and sometimes there's that way where you feel like the pr person told him hey you know this is going on you should be aware i didn't get that feeling that day i thought it was much more that kobe knew exactly who hot rod was probably you know from his dad's background um, and knew Hot Rod's place in NBA lore as well as Laker history. And so he did. He came over. Um, I can't recall. You're saying it's at the end of the game. I actually think it was kind of right before. My memory is that it was at the beginning of the game as they were. He went over. He, he, stuck, he came back over right before the game started. Um, but I remember Hot Rod, because what I do remember is commercial break afterwards and Hot Rod being just, oh, my gosh, she came over. You know, I can't do Tony. But, um, you know, just really, like, moved by Kobe's awareness of the moment. It's also somewhat of a tribute to Kobe that here's this legendary guy who is in Hot Rod who's moved by Kobe. I mean, that's you can have all your opinions about Kobe and all some of the – impact on teammates or Colorado or all those various things. There's one thing that's just abundantly clear. Kobe moved the meter for everyone in the game. Like his presence and his aura had an impact on everyone, including Hot Rod Hundley. Did Hot Rod Hundley know it was happening? It had just come out of the blue, came right up on him? Or was he aware that as Kobe was approaching that this was going to happen, do you think? 
So I have three pictures. I've posted two of them. Um, one's on my Instagram at DLock09. One of them, and then I put one on my Twitter. Um, the one on my Twitter is him coming over at first and shaking hands. And that's when Hot Rod, he says to Hot Rod, you know, congratulations and, you know, kind of thank you and all you've done for the game. And and, and then there's a, the last one, the one I have on my Instagram account, is Hot Rod pointing back at Kobe. And that's Hot Rod's awareness of what's taking place and thank you and, and where Hot Rod's really moved. I don't know if everybody really... You know, you know, the, DJ, the other one that would be interesting to talk to is Pace Mannion. Well, fortunately, we're going to have him on the show next. <laughs> well, had I known how good Jay Catch is, I should have just assumed. But, I mean, Pace really had, because of the Italy connection, Pace had a very different connection to Kobe than a lot of people did. Well, clearly I can't remember the start of the game from the end of the game. But I also have this memory, and we're going to check with Pace. I think... Uh, Nico would have been in elementary school about second grade, maybe third grade, and one of Kobe's last trips in. Maybe he's a little older than that. Um, he might have been fourth or fifth grade. But he, I think he wanted to get something signed, a jersey or shoes or something. I don't know. And I think Kobe told Nico, if you want to get his attention, and, and you know, Pace could have set it up himself. He could have done that. But he told him, you want to get his attention, speak to him about basketball in Italian, and you'll get him. And he did. I'm pretty sure. Well, we'll ask Pace about that coming on. Yeah, I mean, he, I know they actually had a real connection. Um, you know, the other one had a real connection with Kobe is Quinn. <clears throat> they spent that year together in L.A. There's probably not a lot of people that can go one-on-one brain-wise with Quinn Snyder, and there's probably not a lot of people that can go one-on-one brain-wise with Kobe Bryant. And the two of them had a very deep connection. Have you ever spoken to Coach Snyder about that? I have. I'll probably keep that. Uh, between the two of us, but uh, I would share that that's, it, it was a very important relationship for, for Quinn and I think for Kobe also. David Locke joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. From the player perspective, uh, you know, Kobe is obviously a historian of the game. That's why he came over to Hot Rod. You also are a historian of the game. You know, there are a lot of players who've racked up a lot of titles. And in the NBA, more than any other sport, we can just list them, Right. You know, Russell's got his 11, and uh, Jordan's got his 6, and Magic has his 5, and Kobe's got his 5, and uh, so does Tim Duncan. But Kobe's 5, kind of uh, unusual that he won 3 in what, for most players, would be before their prime, and he won 2 in what would kind of be the tail end of the prime, but when he was really in the heart of the deal, 26, 27, 28, they were scrapping to be the 8th seed, but he never took his foot off the gas and, and rested on his laurels. He had his 81-point game there. He demanded the trade in that window. I mean, he was full-on top-of-the-game Kobe, uh, but not winning. And that's an unusual thing to have to power through. It is interesting. And then that's when he had, you know, literally, he had, you know, he had Smush Parker as his backcourt mate. Like, are you kidding me? Um I mean, some of those teams are terrible. Uh, and that's also when he had, I remember very vividly my last game calling with the Sonics, which I probably in the back of my mind knew was my last game calling it with the Sonics, um, was against the Lakers. And, and Kobe went for 50 again that year. That was the year 
in which, and you knew it, like I have a call that I specifically remember where Kobe, right baseline, fadeaway, he's got 32, and he's staring 50 right in the face. And I remember listening to it later and thinking to myself, like, what a ridiculous comment. The guy's 18 points away from 50, and yet you have no doubt he's going to go get it. And that's the, how prolific a score he was in that middle stretch. How about your memories of his last game, which came against the Jazz? I mean, it was like the NBA Finals. That, that's my number one method. The only time I've ever experienced anything like that was the NBA Finals, Jazz Bulls, with that much media, that many people around. You know, I think some Jazz players were so in awe of him that they were willing participants, but you still had to do what Kobe did. And the other thing is you knew he would do it, right? Like, there's a, there was just – he wasn't going 3 of 14 that night. It wasn't going to happen. Um, it was pretty awesome. And it was – it, it, it was, you know, really lucky to be there. Like I, my bigger memory of Kobe is the locker room after the air balls. Um, I, you know, DJ, you and I were probably, PK might have been too, uh, in the locker room. At, yeah, I, was I, there. I don't know if you were in the gym. I was in the Laker locker room. And I, that's one of my biggest, like if people ask me about my NBA career, like, oh, what's the coolest things you've ever done? One of them is a LeBron December 23rd interview in Miami where clearly he had a honey-do list where he wanted things to yet he didn't want to go home, so he hung out with us for like 45 minutes, and his photographic memory was on full display. You know, another was I interviewed Steve Kerr walking to the podium after the shot against the Jazz. Stockton's shot was another one, and then Kobe's air balls is right on the top of that list, where uh, I remember finishing that interview just being with the math. I wasn't one-on-one. Being just flabbergasted by his how unfazed he was about the fact that he had just, you know, missed five air balls or shot four air balls and that he was, uh, you know, not bothered by it in the slightest. And, um, sorry, we're t- I'm trying to find the windshield wipers on a car. I don't, I don't know. I cannot figure it out. I'm, I will, we will be fine. We will not die. I, um, so the, uh, sorry guys. Um, the, so, um, so the, the air balls was just completely stunning how unbothered he was by it. And I remember walking out and just being like, oh my gosh, he's going to be brilliant. And I even remember going back on the air for our post game show and saying that like, okay, we just won. We advanced this. We just watched the birth of a star. Like, I remember being kind of actually taking a little heat. Like, why are we talking about Kobe? And I was like, because I promise you we just saw something we'll never forget. And uh, it was that was really quite something. So you knew those air balls would propel him, help propel him anyway to start him? You just, I don't, you know, honestly, you can't know that at the time. But you can leave that locker room knowing he was not phased by the failure at all if I... I wrote about this on my Facebook account at Locked On Sports. His quote was, I had good looks. I didn't make them. You've got to miss them before you make them. I'll go work this summer and make sure I make them. And it was like, but it wasn't, it wasn't that BS. It was looking you right in the eye and totally understanding that failure was part of the process. Along those lines, I remember the interview watching on TV. They had three-peated, and they were going for four, and they got beat. And 
he did an interview immediately after it, and it was back to work. Got to go back to work to get back. He had that attitude every day, it sounded like. I think all of these, I think we have two reasons why we're sports fans. One is we love to attach to a team feel that exhilaration, the euphoria we felt Saturday afternoon after Rudy's blocks and be connected and, and be on that journey and feel that. I, I think the other thing is, I personally would speak, I love to watch brilliance, um, but I think there's also something inside of the brilliance that you're inspired, whether it's, you know, magic had that little zest for life and Giannis has a joyousness to him and Donovan, frankly, has a kind of a kindness right now that I think we all, you know, uh, you know, Michael had a, 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 a winning aspect that I think we all admire. And I think Kobe's was work in perseverance and will. I think the will is, is what we admire out of Kobe. David, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. Thanks. And obviously, you know, without saying any of us who are parents, our thoughts to, to Vanessa and the other families, it's, 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 it's overwhelming. Clearly. Thank you, David. Thanks. David Locke, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Pace Mannion is coming up next. He had the Italy tie with Kobe and a unique perspective on Kobe's career and interactions with Nico. We'll talk about that. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Utah Jazz are back in action tonight. They host the Houston Rockets. The Rockets played Sunday in Denver and got beat 117-110. to James Harden did not play in that game while Russell Westbrook did. Mike D'Antoni is saying that Westbrook will not play in Utah tonight. Harden uh, is listed as questionable for tonight's contest. It tips off at 7 o'clock. You can watch it on AT&T Sportsnet. Listen to it on The Zone, beginning with the pregame show at 6 o'clock. Elsewhere, the basketball world continues to react to the death of Kobe Bryant. Nine people killed in a helicopter crash near Calabasas, California. Top of the Wire, brought to you by Action Plumbing. Call Action Plumbing to get your winter furnace tune-up and safety check for $33 by calling Action Plumbing at 801-833-3333 or going to actionplumbing.net. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. I don't think that there's a time since maybe 97, 98 where I look at a team and say a championship is within reach. And I know we want to be really careful about talking about that. And I get that. But I think it's time we start allowing that to be part of the conversation because sometimes when we address this team, we talk about this is a team that could make it to the Western Conference Finals. Well, I think it's okay to talk about making it to the NBA Finals. I don't think we need to be scared about talking about that. And I'm not saying that, you know, if they don't make it to the NBA Finals, finals it's a disappointment but i think it's also okay to say you know what this is a team capable of doing that would i pick the jazz to beat the lakers in a seven game series i don't know but the fact that i don't know right now means that the jazz have a pretty good chance catch hans and scotty every day from noon to three presented by your rocky mountain chevy dealers on 97.5 1280 the zone and the zone sports network dj and pk reminding you to join scotty and hans wednesday the 29th from noon to 3 at my hearing center in Sandy, 8941 South, 700 East, Suite 204. Time to bring in Pace Mannion, the former Ute, the former jazz man, jazz broadcaster in the pre-half and post for five years with Thurl Bailey and I, and now 
following his son Nico in the Arizona Wildcats all around the Pac-12. And fellow Pison. Fellow Pison. (laughs) Don't leave that out, PK. Absolutely not. Save the best for last. Hey, I'm half Italian. My mother was a full-blood FBI, full-blooded Italian. (laughs) There you go. So, Pace, we want to have you on uh, to talk a little bit about uh, Kobe Bryant, your paths cross. You played professionally in Italy after you uh, played with the Jazz and a few other NBA teams. And you were there, and I, I have this memory, although I'm a little sketchy on the details, but I think at one point Nico, and I'm trying to do the math, but I'm pretty sure he's in elementary school. I don't know how old he was, but I think he wanted a jersey or shoes or something signed by Kobe, and you told him, and you could have set it up yourself if you really wanted to, but you wanted him to have to stand on his own feet, and you told him, talk basketball in Italian, that'll get his attention. Am I on? Am I? Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh... Obviously, you and I were doing the show with Thurl, and uh, it was right after the Western Conference Finals. I think the Jazz had just lost the series, and it was game six. And as we finished the show, Nico wanted to hurry down to see if he could beat Kobe. And so we went down, and uh, you know, as Kobe came out, and uh, Nico just, I told him, if you want to get his attention, because there will probably be a few people down there, uh, just speak to him in Italian. And so he did, and you know, Kobe came over, and got on a knee and spent about, you know, seven, eight minutes chatting with Nico. It was, it was amazing because he was in a white suit. You know, here he is talking to Nico, who's just a young kid. You know, Nico just had a, just recently the Italian Sky Sports, which is, you know, the ESPN version of Europe, came out and did a, a special on Nico and filmed him. And I'd never heard Nico talk about it. But he, he said in the, in the interview, he said, yeah, that 10 minutes has lasted a lifetime. Really? So it was obviously something that you know, touched him. And and he was, if you've ever heard Nico talk, it's always, you know, the, the greatest player to ever live is Kobe Bryant. It's always been his idol. And, uh, so it's been, a, it's been emotional, to say the least. Yeah, I can only imagine. Uh, in trying to prepare to get as much uh, information as I could, I'm looking at all sorts of stuff, and I'm looking at the Los Angeles Times, and I saw on Sunday night on their website, they had a writer post a story with a byline of Rome and uh, talking about how big he was. Now, you have extensive background in Italy. Could you explain to us just how big Kobe Bryant was in Italy and what he meant to the folks and the basketball fans that are Italian well, he, from Italy? He, uh, you know, when I was playing over there, it was funny because, you know, I was playing against Joe, his father. So you'd get to the, you know, he was playing in Reggio Emilia and he played in Pistoia. But you'd go to play those teams, and Kobe had to be, doing the math, around 12, 13 years old at the time. Um, and you're watching him, you know, before game shoot. And in Italy, it's back then, I'm sure, it, well, I doubt it has changed much, but at halftime, everybody would leave the arena because a lot of those, you know, a lot of Italians smoked. So they'd go out and smoke. At least some of them were courteous to get out. Some of them sat there and smoked in the arena. But, um, Whenever Kobe was there, nobody left the arena because Kobe would go out on the court at halftime because in Italy it's not like in the NBA. There's not a halftime show. There's, there's nothing going on. Um, and, and Kobe would go out and shoot, and all these people would stay in their seats to watch this 12-year-old shoot. And I remember watching him, and obviously at 12 you're not thinking this kid's going to be 
you know, who he turned out to be. But you're thinking, he's skilled. He was inquisitive. He asked questions. He was. But if you watched him during a game, if you ever had a chance to sit and see him, he wasn't your normal 12-year-old. He was he was serious about He was watching to learn. He wasn't just watching to be entertained. And he was, you know, that's what you saw in him at a young age. And you watch him, you know, six years later be, be drafted and, you know, grow through what he went through and and, uh, and become you know, Kobe Bryant that we, that we knew. So you have stood on, on both sides of cameras and microphones. You've asked questions and you've answered questions. So it gives you kind of a whole perspective to the whole give and take and, and how that goes on. Can you imagine being Kobe and on the receiving end of all the cameras, microphones, and recorders that he was on the end of? No. No. You know, I can't. Times have changed so much with, with the social media side, too. What he had to go through was wherever he was, there was always a camera, whether it was a phone, whether it was a journalist, whether a reporter who just wanted to get a word. He was, he constantly had to be aware of his surroundings and what he was saying and uh, how he handled himself. And, and I can't even imagine that. I cannot, you know, I, I mean, I'm such a small fish compared to something like that, that, you know, in Salt Lake, you know, you're known. People know who you are, but you can usually walk around and not be bothered. Even Thurl, as well-known as he is there, he can maneuver without being harassed too much. But I can't imagine what it would have been like for somebody like Kobe Bryant. Wherever he got off a plane, you know, there were crowds. Uh, it, it, has to be, it has to be difficult. It has to be very difficult, you know, for, for guys like that. And I can't even imagine it. It, it would be rough. So do native Italians, do they claim Kobe in the way they would claim your son and uh, Gallinari or whoever else, uh, Molinari well, Kobe, in golf? Kobe was never, he was never Italian. I mean, he was there and he was, and they loved him. You know, he did commercials. You know, he's very well known for his Nutella commercials over there. Um, and his Italian is, is better than most of the Italians. He speaks perfect Italian. Um, and he, you know, he spoke I think about five or six languages, if I remember right. Um, so, but they they loved him as one of their own, even though he wasn't. Obviously, you know, he went back there. He spent time in Italy. And uh, and, he, and people could get to know him because of the language. You know, he could actually sit and answer and talk to people in, in Italian and in their, in their native tongue. And it was great for them because they got to really get a chance to know him and who he was. And I'm sure they, they claim him as, as one of their own, even though he's, by no means Italian. So, but he spent time there. His dad spent time there. They were very well loved as a family. And, you know, Kobe, you know, while he was there, obviously made a dent in, in, uh, in the lives of a lot of people. So he's got a lot of basketball accomplishments on the court. As somebody who played in the NBA, you got a basketball moment or accomplishment that stands out in your mind? Of mine? When, when you think back on his career, from your perspective oh. as an NBA player, and maybe it's something he did in one regular season game, maybe it's one of the championships, maybe it's something else, I don't know, something that impressed you, that you, you recall. You know, I think the, I think the one thing that, about his career that you can't deny is his, his competitive nature. You know, the one thing that has always stood out to me, and the one that I, I, I always go back to when I think of Kobe is here's a guy who blew his Achilles, went to the bench for a timeout 
and limped back out on the court to make two free throws to tie a game. You know, I think they were down 107 to 109. And he comes out and makes two free throws and then limps back off. There's not anybody that comes to mind that I can think of that would have done that except for him. You watch, you watch guys now, and that's a, you know, it's an injury that you, nobody ever wants to have, but you have that injury, and guys go straight to the floor and are, are lifted off the court and carried off, and here's Kobe who walked off and walked back on it to shoot his free throws. To me, that was just a, it, it just showed me the mentality that he had to be, I'm, I'm the ultimate competitor. You know, um, this is what I do. And I think the sad thing is, is you'd seen him grow into a, you know, he'd gone on to that second part of his life where I think he was just as happy or happier doing what he was doing with his daughter and traveling and spending time with his family, but getting back into basketball in a world he probably hadn't planned on. But I think she brought him back to the game and he was getting to coach and do all the things he wanted to do and having a ball doing it because that's all you saw him, him doing was with her and practice and games and, you know, he came here to Arizona and had his team practice at the, there's a home about you know, two or three miles from my house that has an indoor hoop basketball court in it. And he took his team to practice there, obviously, for the privacy. But, you know, that's what he was doing. He was traveling with his, with his you know, basically an AAU team, coaching and, and spending time with all these girls and teaching them the game of basketball. And I thought it was, you know, to see him do that and, and see how happy he was, it's just tough to know that, you know, that second part of his life he's not going to get to fulfill. Certainly, as obviously Pace well said. Do you have you seen a common component in all your years as a keen observer and a player at the highest levels? Have you seen a common component that all the great ones have? When you say that competitive nature, what exactly does that mean? Well, that's a million dollar question. I think a lot of people would like to figure out. In my opinion, and that's you know just me looking at it. You know, one, I think some guys are just born with a certain DNA um, that not a lot of people have. Mentally, you have to be, to go through a lot of trials and tribulations and, and still have the desire to become great. I mean, we all saw Kobe shoot four or five air balls in Utah. How many guys come back from that on, you know, on a, on a national or international stage like the NBA Finals? How, or, or, or Western Conference, how do you come back from that as a player, you know, as a young player? Um, and then I think the other thing is the, the, the attention to detail that people aren't willing to do. Good players are good and not great because of detail work. You know, at some point in your career, and I've, I've said this to many kids, and, you know, as you get better, you know, when you become really good and you're a five-star high school player, the improvements you make now are incremental. There's not going to be that big jump that there was from, you know, when you were 14 to 16 or 16 to 18. When you're 18 years old, you can become better, but now it's just the details and getting better at what you're already good at. And there aren't a lot of people that are willing to put in the time or the effort on the detail work. And if you listen to people talk about Kobe and they talk about him going to the gym, and, and working out for hours at a time. But going to the right elbow and spending two hours or three hours at the right elbow, working on a, 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 a jab step and into a jump shot 
and talking about, okay, if I jab in the middle of my defender's legs, he'll do one thing. If I jab to the right, he does another. What do his hands do when I do both of those moves? Where am I going to be able to create my shot better? Those, and, and people don't understand that that was the details he did to become who he was because he knew in the triangle offense, I'm going to get the majority of my shots right here at the elbow. I'm going to get them on the block, and I'm going to get them behind the three-point line when I'm in transition. So those things he worked on, but you, you hear the stories from trainers that were at USA Basketball. Buddy Heald said, I went to work out with Kobe at 6 in the morning. I got there at 530. I didn't want to be late. And Kobe was already sweating. He was already there working out. He said, we worked out for two hours at the elbow on one move. He got a drink of water. We went to the other end. We worked on the other elbow for two more hours <laughs> at one move. I left. Kobe remained to continue his workout. You don't hear that about good players. You only hear that about great players. And that's the part that I don't think anybody gets or wants to get because it's just too much work. You have to be myopic in, in that one area of, of your life. And that's what's so sad. I think Kobe was so intense in that part that it might have left out some of the family stuff, which is normal, I think, for, for some of the athletes. But now that he got that chance to, to be home all the time, I think you could see, see who, who he was becoming. And that's yeah. just, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough loss in the family. I just can't imagine what right. they're going through. That's where the tragedy lies going forward. Pace, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and sharing the stories. Of course, guys. Have a good day. Pace Mannion, former jazz man, former jazz broadcaster, and uh, crossed some paths with, uh, with Kobe a couple times. Got the Italian connection. I got the, the Nico connection. Yeah, I think that you know that's another reason that separates him, that thing you speak of, because he does have that Italian background because of his father and for him spending a fair amount of his life there growing up. That just, it, it separates him from the, I'm going to say the average superstar, which is an oxymoron. <laughs> right, yeah. Which, you know, all of our superstars but, particularly, it's, it's growing now, but the, it used to just be the American superstar. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that's changing to a degree. Obviously, a Donsage, he's not an American, but he's a basketball superstar and he's in his, you know, unlimited uh, potential here. Uh, but Kobe... Back then, there wasn't. And there were some good European players, but I don't know the, to the level now. But yet, he had that connection. He he bridged oceans. He br- bridged worlds away because of his background. Which that's added to the uniqueness of what Kobe Bryant was. And really, none of our American superstars can say that, right? I think we're pretty short on bilingual, trilingual, or multilingual. American superstars who've lived in multiple countries. You know, it's just, it's an intriguing story. Kobe's, Kobe's dad, you know, played in the NBA for years, and then when he was done in the NBA, was one of the earlier guys to go over and play overseas. It wasn't unheard of at that point, but it was still fairly rare. Uh-huh. And because of that, you know, Kobe spent well, four yeah, years then, there. And then he, you know, he ends up being the father of a, just the, the ultimate right. basketball superstar that had that background and I, I wonder if that's what led him to be out there. You know, Jordan was sort of a recluse. And you, you pretty much you have to be right. at, at his level because you, you walk down a street 
It's like Mark Eaton told us one time. It's a community event when he stops to get gas, you know, because he's <laughs> right. so much taller than everybody yeah. else. Everybody well, knows who he is. There's a story about Jordan when he yeah. built the big house in Chicago and he built a theater in it. Yeah, got asked why. He says, "I can't possibly go to a movie theater. No one would ever see the movie. I can't go. I wreck it for everybody." Yeah, and I don't see it either. But Kobe had himself out there, and I wonder if that was part of his background. Is because. He's used to dealing with all sorts of people, literally from yeah. just so many cultures, just almost darn near every one of them. And then you're living in Los Angeles, which, you know, we live there, and that's obviously a melting if, pot to extreme levels. If you have a chance to grow up uh, and you're around pro sports somehow, it, it's a huge advantage. I think that's part of the Donovan Mitchell story because his dad with the Mets and, you know, he could be at the stadium and be around athletes. It pays off. Ken Griffey Jr., certainly. Barry Bonds, because they're around it. And there's a part of everything that goes on that they just intrinsically know and are used to the rhythm of it, and they don't have to learn that. And it gives you a comfort level. And if there's something you want to avoid, you know how to avoid it. And if something you want to embrace, you know how to go to it. And it's just... It's really familiar. And other guys get dropped into it. The average NBA rookie gets dropped into it and has to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. just know it because it's been your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's just second nature. All right, DJ and PK, a couple of uh, basketball things. I watched a uh, video. We always talk about end-of-game situations and decisions that get made. And there's a video that you've probably seen if you've been on social media of all of Kobe's game winners. tells us something pretty interesting. We can uh, talk about that next. Coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, he played one... Uh, played all 20 years in one city, Michael Smith, Larry the Laker, on uh, Kobe's impact in L.A. It's a big story in Italy, all over the U.S., but I think it feels different in L.A. We'll talk with Michael Smith coming up at the top of the hour. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. And now, your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Kobe, working Lyles, fading three. Got it! Oh my goodness! Kobe Bryant, fading in the left corner. Seemingly impossible on these tired legs. Swishes it from the corner. And the Mamba has 56 points. Wow! David Locke on the call. Kobe's last game, lighting the Jazz up for 60. We had David on earlier in the show. Some of the Jazz players, willing participants, he said. That's the Chevy Strong play of the game right there. All right, it's time for This Guy Sucks. Do we want to suspend it? Yeah. You got anybody who really sucked? It's not, not, in the, not, not in the mood for This Guy Sucks. You know, that last game, at the time, I have to admit, in complete and total honesty, I was a little miffed. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. But I'm not now. I think most of us were. I'm glad it happened. <laughs> that he went out that way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always felt like it was a proper fitting, uh, you know, final game Send to a off. legendary career. You know, it was like an exclamation point. But it bugged but, me. But it, it, well, that's because we're covering the Jazz and they're, you know, a young team on the way up. And guys, you got to battle hard in that. Couldn't you held them to 44? 
<laughs> it bugged me at you the know? time. He could have had 38 and it would have been a great game. Yes, but, but knowing what I know now, yeah. and all of us know now, and it doesn't soften it, doesn't, the tragedy is separate, and that'll, that'll forever remain. And obviously for his family, it'll literally always remain. remain. Yeah. Uh, but from the fan perspective, which is all I got, I'm glad that it happened, that he was able to go out on that high note, that dream fashion. You know, the few guys that get that opportunity and few guys that have that, uh, that love from the community because I don't know that there was a stronger bond ever between community and player, fill-in-the-blank sport. Now, there could be some that have matched it, but I don't know that anybody has exceeded it. And that's the thing about LeBron. With LeBron moving around, he's a Cleveland guy, but is he a Cleveland Cavalier guy? He provided the championships, so I always says that, but when you play your whole career... Maybe in the case of someone like, you know, Joe Montana or uh, Peyton Manning. Or Carl Malone. Carl Malone. There's this brief chapter at the end. But Manning's a Colt. And Joe's a Niner. And Carl's a Jazz guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They'll always do that. There is still something when you play your whole career. It's just something about 20 years. It's a nice round number. And the five championships. Oh, it's a nice, incredible. (laughs) Right, exactly. Uh, There's a video out on Twitter. I was watching it last night. All of Kobe's game winners. Now, I don't know that it actually is all of Kobe's game winners. I'll just take them at face value. I don't, I don't have a list of that. There's 36 of them. Then the one I saw wasn't complete. <laughs> There's a bunch. The one I saw had 27. And oh, we always okay. talk about where do you go get a game winner. You know, if you go to the hoop, you risk getting fouled. And if you shoot the three, you risk having the tired legs and being a little short, right? Or throwing it with your arms because you don't have the legs and it's a little flat. And we just had Pace Mannion talking on about the detail. And you know Kobe is breaking all of this down. Where do I go? And so how many of them were threes? How many of them were layups or dunks? How many of them were mid-range stuff? You know, was he in the paint or outside of the paint? Just made the columns and just let the thing play and just marked it down. 27 game winners on this, on this particular reel I happened to see. And only twice did he go all the way to the rim. Four of them were in the paint, but outside that restricted area. Huh? Seven of them were three-pointers, but 14 of the non-paint two-pointers, that mid-range jumper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And none of it an accident. Where do you go? 14 of the 27 non-paint twos. The others spread all over, depending on you know, how defense plays you at any opportunity. Well, he was so good and so crafty and shifty at that that he didn't have to. They were literally all over the court. Yeah. Left side, right side, straight away. And la- last month, I read a thing that uh, it was on the uh, heels of the Houston Astros stuff. Mm-hmm. It was talking about the cheating. And they referenced the story, and I, and I clicked on it, and Kobe was talking about how he studied the rotations of where the refs were supposed to be mm-hmm. relative to where the ball was on the floor. And so he saw a certain spot. I can't remember the exact detail. Somewhere along the free throw line, whether it was right or left elbow, I'm not really sure. I don't remember. But he was saying, that depending on where the ball was, they would rotate, and he'd watch the, he studied the ref's rotations, the three of them, and then he knew that where he could get would allow him some more freedom and maybe to, you know, maybe push a little bit and mm-hmm. whatever he could. And, and, and we just had Pace talking about, you know, all this little stuff. If you jab step straight at a player, how does the defender react? If you jab step right, how does he react? If you jab step left, well, that comes through 
the minutia of study. How much film do you watch yeah, before yeah. you realize that on matters? And on and on, the well, real, real finer yeah. points of the game. Which, which just coach? Are incredible. Which coach has been around the game for forty years? Do you talk to, and which player did they talk to that this all gets passed down? I think you have to have that, uh, particularly because Kobe was part of the uh, analytics, at least at the end when his career, the analytics that were really starting to be predominant, mm-hmm. and so. No doubt he was grasping that and being able to use that to his advantage. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, Michael Smith, you see him on the Jazz pre-half and post-game, the former BYU Cougar, worked for the Clippers. He's on their broadcast for years and years and can speak to the impact that this is having in L.A. When you play for one team for two decades and then something like this happens, this strategy, how does it all play out? Michael Smith, AT&T Sportsnet studio analyst, joining us next. 